The Women of Ill Repute with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Wendy, I know I'm pretty sure I've told you this before, but, but bear with me. Okay. All right, go. I'll support you. So when I was little, and thank you. So when I was little and people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, as you do, as we always ask kids this, I said I wanted to be either a cowgirl. Uh, not that that was a viable choice even then, but I liked the boots. And I wanted to be a stewardess, as they were called at the time. I think everybody did. Oh, well, that's kind of neat. I wanted to be a comedian only, you know, as you know, I'm not quite funny enough. And, and then I decided, <laughs> why are you laughing? I find that, fun. I find that funny. <laughs> you know, I did a show and people laugh. It was grade four. So, you know, people laughed in grade four. Oh. <laughs> um, and then I decided I, that's not going to work. So I was going to be a psychiatrist. Only that meant like going to school for a long time and yeah. like that. So I decided to become a, a journalist because you can be an, an instant expert on like everything. Just don't. <laughs> Absolutely. It was, it was a simpler time. Boys wanted to be train conductors. I know that 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 they wanted to be that or pilots and girls wanted to be ballerinas. I don't have any little kids in my life right now. Neither of us do. But I wonder what the next generation actually aspires to be. Well, I did some research and uh, well, American research, because we're about to talk to an American and kids today, American kids, obviously they want to be. And here's the list in order, a doctor, a teacher, a veterinarian. We know lots of kids who want to be veterinarians, a musician. Let the, I kind of wanted to be a musician, but I had no talent there either. <laughs> or, a mo- <laughs> or a movie star. That, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. But journalists, like it's, it used to, in the days of Watergate, it used to be a big deal. Now they're like, they're 17th. 17th is still on the map. Uh, writer is number nine. So, you know, we are, we're living the dream. Podcaster hasn't yet made it to the list. Because most people think of that as a hobby, not a real job. Well, or there's influencer. A lot of people want to be an influencer. I mean, yeah. I don't want to be influenced. Thank you very much. But but, but no, yeah, it's big. No. But what happened to stewardess? Or as we call them now, flight attendants? They're not on the list. And and maybe the name has something to do with it. I mean, I'd rather, I, I know it's very old fashioned, but I'd rather be a steward rather that than someone attending to people. Yeah, attending to people. Yeah. But back in the day, they were the epitome of glamour, the beautiful, sexy, perfectly turned out, traveling the world in high heels, meeting fascinating people, gorgeous men, you know, the days of Pan Am and TWA. Those, those, you know, come fly with me. Yeah, it was mostly men. And apparently some of the books that sounded like women were written by men. So there's, there's come fly with me. There's come catch, catch me if you can coffee, tea or me coffee, tea or me was written by a man. Yeah. I just, I just learned that. (laughs) So was it that glamorous? I don't know. I don't know, but we're going to find out because we have the perfect guest to answer those questions. Anne Hood and her cat Gertrude, who's with us, (laughs) uh, is a best-selling author, novelist, short story writer, teacher, knitter, and former flight attendant or stewardess, as they were called back in the golden days when she flew for TWA. Yeah, so Anne Hood, her latest book is Fly Girl. She joins us today to talk about, uh, well, to talk about the jet age. And and is it over? Hi, Anne. Hi, Anne. Hi, how are you? Nice yeah, to see you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. So you've written this book and, you know, I'm so old, I immediately went back to uh, Coffee, Tea or Me, which I think was written before I was born, but it was still, I'm exaggerating, but it was still huge. And then I read your book and it's by a man. I know. No, 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 no. Anne's book is not by a man. <laughs> 
No, not Anne's book. Coffee, tea, or me? <laughs> no, but I put this by me. I swear. <laughs> you know, it was funny because I reread Coffee, Tea, or Me when I wrote this because I, I had a vague memory of it, and I was like, "Can it be as bad as I remember?" I mean, bad now. I thought it was quite titillating when I read it in like seventh grade or something, and. um it is really terrible. <laughs> yeah, it is terrible. And they're all <laughs> portrayed and drawn. Like, they remember the cover, they were all, as they described them, as busty sex pots, which is so my stripper name. <laughs> when I Twirl them. Turn around. Do a little dance. Ladies and gentlemen, busty sex pots. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but let's, let's go. There was a criteria. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. But you had to be young and beautiful. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> that was it. They couldn't say that on the applications even then. But you, when you applied, you got like a height and weight chart. And if you didn't match up, they said, don't even bother applying. You know, you're not going to get an interview. Some of the applications, because I applied to a bunch of, I wanted TWA or Pan Am, because to me, that was glamour. You know, when you dream of being a stewardess, you don't dream of like going to Columbus, Ohio or something. No offense to Columbus, but you dream of going. No offense to Columbus. You, know, you, you dream of going to Paris and Rome and, you know, Cairo. And and those were the airlines that went there, Pan Am and TWA. But smaller airlines, the application was just one piece of paper. Age, weight, height, done. <laughs> this <laughs> is your window. It. This is your window. Be Travel the world and find a man. And if you don't do it. Yeah. And if you don't do it, then God love you. Go and be a writer. Well, in, in one of the books, it said, if you're not married by uh, 28, uh, like, like, come on and be a stewardess. That's right. Uh, uh, but, and if you're not married by 28, then TWA won't want you because if you couldn't pick up a man. <laughs> and then you're also jobless. You have no husband and no job. <laughs> so, so what was the, what were the height and weight re- uh, requirements to reach the overhead? So um, you had to be above 5'4". Oh, you couldn't be too tall. The height bit, I think, actually was for safety and, you know, for work reasons. You couldn't be over 5'10 or 11. Couldn't be too tall either. And again, it's to move through the cabin easily. You know, the ceilings are not super high. Um, The weight, well, that's debatable. But for example, I'm 5'8". And the maximum I could weigh is 140 pounds. And did you have weigh-ins? Weigh-ins, yeah. I got hired at 122 pounds, and so I couldn't go over 122. I didn't have 18 oh, pounds to play with. Crying out loud. Oh, so you had to be the same weight as when you signed up? Yep. Wow. Uh, okay, about the uniforms. They were custom-fitted to you, weren't they? Size zero uniform. So you were 5'8 and 122 pounds, and that was it. So you, like, starved yourself. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> they were gorgeous, gorgeous, such a fine, like wool. Ralph Lauren designed TWAs, but everybody, like Halston did um, Braniffs and they had ultra suede. They had kind of a sexier look. That is glamorous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Valentino did Pan Ams. So, and they were gorgeous and you'd get it and then you'd go to the, the TWA tailor who would cinch it at the waist for you and hem it. And uh, it fit only you. Like, I could never borrow my roommate's jacket or something, you know. So we have this idea of it being so glamorous. And and that, yeah, and and then all the rules changed. And so they dropped the weight thing. They dropped the height thing. They dropped the marriage thing. And now, uh, I mean, deregulate. Wait, you couldn't be married? You couldn't be married? 
Yeah, I could. So I, I was hired in 1978. And really the only requirement that I suffered under was the weight. We could then get married, we could have kids and be over 28 <laughs> and still fly. Well, that's mighty kind of him. <laughs> I mean, you're exactly right in quoting that TWA is infamous for saying, uh, like on a news show or something, if a man doesn't want her by the time she's 28, TWA sure doesn't. And yet you were so drawn to it. I mean, you grew up in a small town. This was a way, it, it was adventure. And so you were sort of torn between this is sexist, but I'm 21 and I'm sexy and I want to see the world. So it was, uh, yeah, you had sort of a foot and you knew it was wrong, but it felt kind of like enticing. Yeah, it was very enticing. And, you know, I always say that era, the late seventies, it was very confusing for women because we had one foot still in the past. You know, like I went to college with, with girls who were saying they came for their MRS, you know, they wanted to find out in college. Yeah. Their MRS. Wow. Um, so and sexism, you know, ruled still. But women were also starting to get into business and um, making strides in feminism. So it was kind of confusing because I understood how sexist the job was. Obviously, I had read Coffee, Tea, or Me. I knew. But I wanted to see the world. I was from a tiny town. And, and I would say that I really fit the profile for people who wanted that job. Get me out of this tiny town. Out of this town. Did you see the world, Anne? I did. And it was beautiful. <laughs> what was the best part? I think you wrote about seeing the pyramids for the first time. It was oh, like- my God. Seriously. I mean, I had I had flown to a lot of international cities before I went to Cairo. But I remember being on the bus from the airport to the hotel and seeing all the signs, like billboards and street signs in a different language, a different alphabet. And I was like, I have really come far, far away. It just had, it, I guess it was the place that felt the most exotic to me. And I mean, standing near the pyramids is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I was at a, at a flea market the other day and there was a lady and she remembered me because I was a political reporter and there weren't very many women doing political reporting at, uh, a thousand years ago, as I like to say. As you like to say. <laughs> yeah. But she was talking about how I couldn't be married. I, as soon as I got pregnant, I had to quit. There was a whole, so she was, she's old. Well, I guess she's in her sixties, but she remembers, she remembers the old days, but, but then deregulation came along. Right. And so I guess it's the whole image of it was the, the stewardesses who were young and sexy and 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 then deregulation happened. So it was cheaper and everybody got to fly. But then the the rules changed and there was older. My, my husband makes jokes about the Air Canada, which is our big uh, airline here, about them being old and grumpy and French Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Whoa. in the old, when they started, they would have been, they would have, well, he loves French Canadians, but he doesn't like them old and grumpy. He he would like much prefer they be, they be like the 28 year old, uh, I love you, man. I love you. And now it's all full of women. You can tell him he's old and grumpy. <laughs> he is old and grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> I know him, man. I'm not. <laughs> it's, it's hard to believe, but I remember a flight out of Phoenix, Arizona where a guy was denied boarding because he had on flip-flops. <laughs> and now they're all in sweatpants. Wow. <laughs> and now they barely have, you know, they have those tank shirts on and, like, you know. Well, that's the thing, too. And I've got a million questions about flying now, some inside. But uh, people don't dress to travel. Now, my sister, who lives in Paris and is Frencher than the French and flies a lot for work, she dresses to the nines when she travels. And she travels by herself more often than not. Uh, on business. And she, if it, if anyone's going to get upgraded, she is. She's ready. <laughs> she's ready. Yeah. She's alone and she mm-hmm. looks right. Yes. And that still applies, I think. 
I think so. Yeah. You know, I think with deregulation, what happened was it started feeling more like I was working on a Greyhound bus. Yeah. In an airplane, you know, the planes started getting, they were more used in a way because they jammed so many people in. So they got tired faster. I mean, the actual way they looked and people were crabby because they, they weren't getting food anymore or, um, or they had to pay for it. And the, the pitch between the seats was so small and um, a bunch of crabby passengers equals a bunch of crabby flight attendants, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, if, uh, David Sedaris, the American comedian who writes a bunch of books, he he writes a few years ago about a flight attendant telling him about passengers who really pissed him off. And you know when they go by at the end of the flight and they, they gather all your stuff and saying to him, you're trash, your family's trash, but actually meaning you're, you're trash, please. But, and so I, yeah, you're trash. You're, you are trash. Oh, you're, you're trash. Your family's trash. <laughs> What's the other one about uh, the uh, for coffee? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I told this. I ran into a, an older flight attendant who remembered me from the old days, and uh, we started chatting on the, in between the sort of drink service. And I told him the David Sedaris story about the "You're trash, you are trash," and he said, "Well, what we usually say is you for coffee." <laughs> You for coffee? And I'm like, he says, don't tell anyone that. You for coffee? Did, Which well, like, actually, well, you can imagine. Yeah. That so tell means. us, I mean, now that the story can be told, did you ever have personal ways of dealing with difficult <laughs> uh, passengers that you would share with you us? Know, I have to confess that it's not that I'm the nicest person in the world, but I just had this attitude of even on a long flight, I'm never going to see this person again. So, you know, they could be crabby because flight attendants are blamed for everything. Like the weather, yes. the delays, the lost luggage, you know, you get it, you take it. But I used to just stare at them and with a smile on my face, stare blankly <laughs> and walk away. I'm sorry about that. It never really bothered me that much. I never had a passenger that really upset me because it was like, I'll never see you. Okay. I have a, a this may be dark, but a friend of ours was on a flight a few months ago and a person died yeah. on the flight. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, actually, it was yeah. my son. Yeah, you it was my son. That. He was in. He didn't. Do <laughs> he didn't die. Oh my coming. god! I was like, wow, was, you said that. <laughs> <that's> okay. <laughs> I know that this has happened to you, so I won't make light of it. Uh, Anne lost a, a daughter at the age of five. Um, but and we'll get back to that. But back to this particular situation. Aiden was coming home from his honeymoon. And uh, someone died in, in, and they were, they were flying business class. It was a wedding gift. And just to explain. Uh, yeah. Um, but somebody died back in, back in coach. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it, you know, it was, it was awful. It was a big to do. And much to everyone's surprise nowadays, and probably even when you were flying, there's no place to put people who die. No, no, I did have a friend, uh, a male flight attendant friend of mine who someone died on his flight and they were on their way to Paris from Boston and, uh, you know, they told the pilot, this guy's dead. I mean, he was dead. He just, it was kind of funny in that they put the food in front of him and he died. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, airline, airline food does have that reputation, but I didn't know what I should do. Wow. And so he told the pilot and the pilot like looked at the maps and, you know, the computer thing and said, we're at the point of no return. It's going to take us just as long to go back. So we're going to continue on to Paris, put a blanket over him. Two yeah. male flight attendants walked this dead guy as if he were drunk from coach into first class and belted him into a first class seat. There was no no one in, was it like an empty row? And there he 
Wow. Yeah, there he lay until they landed. There he lay. Holy smoke. Now, going way back before your time at the dawn of flight, <laughs> they were they were supposed to be nurses, weren't they? Yeah, it was this brilliant woman named Ellen Church who actually had her pilot's license, but the airline wouldn't let her fly. There, no, a woman cannot fly an airplane. And so she was mad because she knew that aviation was the future. You know, she knew the 20th century was going to be shaped and transformed by aviation. And so she was a registered nurse. And so she said, I have a, I have an idea. You should have nurses on the planes because at that time they flew below 10,000 feet. So everybody threw up. It was so bumpy. And so she said, I can take care of the sick people and I will be a calming influence. And they thought it was a great idea. She got seven of her best friends from Chicago and they were the first eight flight attendants. Wow. And now we're in the in the super space age, like the jet age is over, but the space age is here and you've got all of these Elon Musk and uh, Jeff Bezos and what's his name? Branson flying Richard these, Branson. The Richard Branson flying these massive penises into the air and conquering Mars <laughs> exactly. and, and, and whatever. Yeah. I, but the, the fascination with space, it, for you, it wasn't just adventure of travel. It was like being in the sky and being... Being in the sky. Yeah. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day. She wasn't a flight attendant, but she had just come back from Italy and she was talking about Italy a little, but her flight a lot. And I said, oh, I get it. I love flying. And she said, there's a lot of good stuff up in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great to be up there. And I have to agree. Yeah, I do too. I, I mean, there's a lot I don't like about flying, just like everybody else, but I love the excitement of going places and, you know, just getting on the plane and taking off, even no matter how cramped you are, you're, you know, Louis CK is, uh, is in disgrace, a disgraced comedian, but he had a bit where he would, he was on a talk show and he was saying, people complain, but you're, uh, you're, you're in a, a machine that's flying through the air. I mean, how can yeah. we take that for granted? Yes, I, he had a great line about part of the same bit where he said uh, people complain about not getting the Wi-Fi. And it's like, you're at 35,000 feet in joint. <laughs> you're not going to get Wi-Fi up here. Yeah. Well, that's like the cell phone thing. Like for years, there was this ban on cell phones. And I'm like, really? My cell phone is going to bring down the plane? And now they sort of pretend that it's not a good thing. But I mean, that's a joke, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, you can get Wi-Fi now for your phone. You but on your, your phone, tablet. I mean, really, as as long as, yeah, as long as, as it lasts, which is until you're up at 20,000 feet or whatever, um, I, I use my phone. Don't tell anyone. This is top secret, right? <laughs> I, you know, I'll tell you, my, my biggest complaint about flying, other than, you know, your, your the seats are so small, is I don't like that they don't have screens sometimes. And they say, you know, you can watch on like the American Airlines app, but I don't have a, yeah. a tablet. And I'm sort of stuck on a flight for 11 and a half hours. My daughter and I just came back from Hawaii. And I was like, you're kidding me. There's yeah. no movies. I know. <laughs> well, there are. You just have to, you just have to pay for them like, like everything else. But what I want to know is about the Mile High Club. Does that still even exist? Or like, how, how would you do it? It's so cramped in there. You can't even turn around. People do it all the time. Oh, I mean, who wants to be in that bathroom anyway? But no, people do it all the time. And we were told it was really, I mean, we knew passengers weren't supposed to be in there together, but we were basically told, do what you feel comfortable with. And so there would be those, you know, very efficient flight attendants, knock, knock, knock. I would always just say, you know, God bless them because that is pretty gross. And, you know, they can yeah. if they want. But in all people who smoke, 
they people still think that they could st- sneak a smoke. Yeah. In the bathroom, and I've been—I was on a flight not long ago where that somebody is like, "For God's sake, buddy!" Well, we used to smoke in the front cabin and think that there would be like this magic wall that would go up and stop stop. Yeah, but not really. Oh, I there mean, is a wall. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, it's like, yeah. Don't open the door; you might fall out. Well, <laughs> I was describing my first flight to an audience, like in a bookstore or something, and I was saying how when I got off, my hair smelled of so of smoke and my jacket smelled of smoke and this young woman's hand goes up she's like 20 she says did the plane catch on fire (laughs) 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 no it's blessed be able to smoke on airplane she said what oh yeah (laughs) the women of ill repute let's talk about the fear of I'm not not necessarily the fear of flying that some people desperately have, and I'm sure you've had to deal with that. But situations where, you know, somebody told me you can't die of turbulence. Um, yeah, and that's while we were in the middle of a turbulent flight, and that person was my husband, and the person who was afraid was me. Um, but I don't believe him. I think you can. No, you can't die of turbulence. You can get hurt. Yeah. I mean, if you're not buckled in, that's why they say always sit with your seatbelt on. My husband never does. It drives me crazy. I'm like, put your seatbelt on. (laughs) It's more comfortable. We could hit unexpected turbulence. (laughs) And, um, you know, I actually, I'm saying this, but I did just hear in the news that someone died in turbulence on a private plane, but they weren't belted in. Oh, yeah. So they got flung around. Yeah, they got flung around. Well, the the other thing I love is like the big speech that, and I'm sure you gave it at the beginning, which was everyone, if if there is some strange thing and we end up going into the water or if there's a crash with very low likelihood, stay calm. And like, who's going to stay calm? And if you crash, you're going <laughs> to die, some right? Like, live, but it's not common. <laughs> it's not common. You know, yeah. my favorite one was um, you can use your seat cushion as a flotation device. Yes. I'm like, this chiclet size thing—it's <laughs> like this thick. That always—I I always felt like kind of that I was lying when I said that. But I guess ever so briefly, it can work. <laughs> it's waterlogged. But that's your primary purpose, right? As a flight attendant, as a stewardess, that t- is safety and to and to ha- be uh, of assistance in an emergency. Um, so what what have you been called upon? What I guess I'm asking you, what was your dramatic, most dramatic flight experience? You know how many flight attendants on our plane by how many emergency exits there are. There has to be a flight attendant at each door. And any extras, they don't do this anymore. It used to be if the flight was full, they would send an extra flight attendant who actually sat with the passengers. Yeah, but otherwise it's as many as doors. That's why 747 said. 16 or whatever, because there were eight doors or whatever it was. Um, You know, my scariest one was when the pilot asked me for Jack Daniels on a 747 on an international flight. Wow. Yeah. And I said, you know, this is what we were trained to do. You never fight or, you know, oh, you don't mean that. (laughs) And he said, yes, I do. And so I brought coffees to the other two, um, the first officer of the engine. <laughs> Lots of coffee to the other two. The other two, because they needed to stay awake. And I said, are you sure you don't want anything? He said, I told you what I want. Whoa. And then I was in first class setting up what my service. He came out and got two Jack Daniels and took them into the cockpit. That was my scariest flight. And you all landed safely. Wow. And there was no like weaving or anything. 
No, it wasn't. But so the pilot is king. Yeah. Is captain the captain? I mean, I, I I sail, and if the captain is the captain, we don't argue with the captain. But that's right; it's the same thing. And what scared me because it was a long flight, and this was kind of at the beginning. But I don't know how many times he came out and got more. I mean, I wasn't marking oh, the liquor, whoa. so I was imagining that maybe he made other trips out. You know, so that was my scariest landing because I thought, oh, did you report him though, Anne? Okay, I'm so embarrassed to say I didn't because you know you're saying he's the captain. Um, I heard of a, a flight attendant, I mean, from the flight attendant, it was Eastern Airlines. She got blackballed by, by the pilots because she reported one of them for drinking. Wow. And it affected the flights she flew and how she was treated on the plane. And what I noticed was when that guy asked for the Jack Daniels, the first officer didn't make eye contact. He looked away and I thought he won't back me up if I report this guy. I want to go back to the turbulence thing, because I'm just realizing I've always had this question, like, I always have to go to the bathroom just before the, 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 the light comes on saying, don't move, don't move. Um, of course you do. There, there's yeah. always one on the plate. It's you. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> I always think that the bathroom, if, if the light goes on when I'm in the bathroom, that I'm safe. It means you're having sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there's nobody there, but I'm having a grand old time. <laughs> I'm waiting and waiting, and nobody shows up. <laughs> um, but I always think that it's safe in the bathroom. No. But should I be heading back? Oh, it's not safe in the bathroom because you're not, not safe. strapped in. Yeah, uh, and it's an awful way to die, Wendy. <laughs> on the <laughs> toilet, <laughs> waiting. <laughs> Waiting for some. So it's so dirty by the end of the flight in there. You don't want to be on that floor. <laughs> Where is everybody? Oh. So are you a good flyer, Anne, as a passenger? I'm a great flyer. Yeah. I bet. And how do you pack? Light. I only bring, I bring a carry-on bag. I spent a month in Europe with one carry-on bag last summer. Wow. I've done... I'm I'm the same. I take great pride in not checking luggage if I don't have to. I think the key is you don't you shouldn't bring a lot of shoes. People bring too many shoes. You have your heavier shoes that you wear on so they don't take up room and then you have your sandals or sneakers or whatever in the bag and then you have room for everything. Any other tricks like you see all these things online about how you can sleep, you know, if you lay out the if 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 you have the spare bed in the middle, you lay it down a certain is is any of that? No, it's all oh, BS. It's all baloney. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> it's all baloney. We were told in training that if you fly international and even if you do like coast to coast because that 3 hour difference can also give you pretty bad jet lag, there's no way to fight jet lag. Your body, it just takes too long for those rhythms, whatever the circadian rhythms to adjust. And so just like you're going to be tired. And we were actually allowed, if we were on international for a long time, to call in with jet lag to just say, I've, I have flown three straight months. I don't know what time of day it is. And they'd say, you know, take a couple of days off. So are, are girls, women, men, because um, there's lots of male flight attendants these days, are they still having fun? Like it's not as glamorous as it used to be, but is it still fun? It's fun. It just is fun. I mean, I think their job is harder because, as I said, angrier passengers, more passengers, pay cuts. Um, they work longer hours than we did. We had it pretty nice. Um, but it's still fun. You're still in San Juan, you know, in the middle of winter, in a hotel on the beach, or you're still with your friends walking around San Francisco or wherever. 
And it's funny because I have met so many people on this book tour who became flight attendants in middle age. It's really, Really? it had, I'm so impressed. They were not allowed by their parents to be a flight attendant because it had that sexy, you know, that sexy image. It's like almost famous, right? (laughs) Where the daughter takes off. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Or they got married or they just, you know, went to college and did something else. And then no, their kids have grown and they're like, I want to be, I always want to do this job and I'm going to do it. And I met so many women. Oh, they were just happened to be all women of 40, 50, even 60 years old doing just starting the job. Is that great? Even I 60. Imagine it. that. <laughs> Lily, I wouldn't <laughs> want to do it again, but you know, I'm too tired. But man, it's, but it's great. Uh, why not follow your yeah. dreams as long as you can? I want to ask you a little bit uh, uh, about your your career between uh, your accomplishments between those days and now. Um, so you went on to become a writer, a, a successful one, 14 novels, short stories, essays. Uh, you teach writing. I, I know that you wrote about grief because you lost your little girl um, quite a while ago. Uh, so sorry to hear that. Uh, and you took up knitting. And you wrote about knitting and you wrote about knitting and grief. So, and all these things are wonderful and, and interesting. So what brought you at this point in your life to go back to that original career? Such a great question. I have to say that since I had the job, so for all these decades, I say I was or was a flight attendant, people want to hear about it. I say I'm a writer, their eyes kind of glaze over. They're like, have I read anything you've written? not impressive at all, but everybody wants to hear the stories. And for years, people would urge me, you know, even my editor, um, my husband, you should write about it. But to me, it was really just a bunch of anecdotes. And it wasn't until I realized, number one, that I flew at one of the most fascinating times to have the job. You know, it was the tail end of, no pun intended, of the golden age of flying. And I saw everything start to change. So historically, it was interesting. But also, I realized that I kind of grew up on, on at 35,000 feet. It was a coming of age story, really. You know, a kid from a small town with her Dorothy Amel haircut. And, uh, <laughs> I, re- I remember her. Oh, yeah. The wedge. Right? I didn't even own lipstick. <laughs> the wedge. You know, I had like lip gloss kind of stuff. And all of a sudden being part of a 747 crew, walking through the airport in Paris, looking like I knew what I was doing and feeling confident. You know, I really, everything I learned on that job has served me really well in my whole life. And so when those things kind of came and came together, I thought I'm, it's time to write this book. And lucky me, I started writing it during the pandemic because when I was like, not even going to the grocery store and like washing my boxes before I brought them in every day, I'd sit down and I'd write about that beautiful time when I flew all around the world all the time. And I had such freedom. I mean, it was really a great escape from those lockdowns we had. And I don't think you married at 28 to the, the guy who moved in from uh, from first class. <laughs> or did you? No. True confessions. <laughs> well, I, well, if you must know, I've married a few times. But <laughs> I'm on my last. It's hard to keep you in one place. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so we don't need to go there. But uh, yeah, but the last time wasn't at 28. <laughs> no, yeah. no. No, that, you know, I had that wonderful, I met the guy in 47F and he was my boy. I know, I still call him that if I talk to him. <laughs> Mr. 47F. <laughs> still remember, Mr. 47F. You know? um, but we went out for years and I met him on a flight. Most of my dates, 
from airplanes were duds. I have to say, I always have to say, oh, yeah. we're duds. Yeah, you yeah. Know. This is a complete aside, but the first time I saw the man who became my husband, he was on a calendar. Uh, oh really? <laughs> it was a. It was. A, you don't know this. Yes, movie? I do, but I can't You've remember the picture, why. Right? It's the. <laughs> it's the. It was the U- University of Toronto Men on Campus what? calendar. Yeah, I know. He was. He was a cutie, and uh, yeah, he was a pinup, and he was September. He was Mister September, <laughs> and then yeah, and then I ended up meeting him through work, and we got married. But I still call him Mister September, just like your man in Forty Seven F. So I love that story. Like, yeah, I know. So do I. <laughs> so does he. <laughs> it's blown up and on the wall now. <laughs> every it's every blown. wall. I'm kidding. <laughs> the calendar. No, it's true. I, I, <laughs> uh, and you're you're a great storyteller. You're a great writer. Um, I bet you were a fabulous stewardess. <laughs> I was a good stewardess. I was really. <laughs> I bet you were. Who became a flight attendant, and now you've written about it, and you're not. He was a. I, I was. I'm still amazed by this. That the guy who wrote, or that it was a guy Coffee who wrote me. "Coffee Tea or Me," and he pretended to be these two women who talked about the, Busty. What is Busty? Yeah, sex which bots. was your your stage name on the side, the side yeah. hustle. Um, but he was a PR guy for American Airlines. I just think that that is is just so cool. And now you've written one, and you actually were a flight attendant. I was one, and not messy sex pot. <laughs> uh, the book, the book is called Fly Girl, and it's just been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Anne. Oh, this was so fun! It went really quickly. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. And Our Gertrude. pleasure, <laughs> and Gertrude. Oh, we can see Gertrude here. here. Bye, Gertrude. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you, Anne. Oh, there's Gertrude. Oh, she knows her name. Okay, bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. So I'd forgotten about Mr. September. (laughs) You know, what's funny about that is that I had it framed as a gift. And then the, the, uh, it, the frame got damaged or something, and I went. So I put it in the basement because it didn't look good. And he pulled out another calendar and said, "Get this one." <laughs> so now we have two. <laughs> well, as long as you don't blow it up, you're good. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. I think it's hanging in the guest room, which is why you know that. But that is funny how how our how, how we refer to our husbands. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, she's talking about sort of wistfully about the days when yeah. when women were women and men were. And, and it was all men in the first class, and it was girls who perched on the on the edge of their seat and flirted with them, and then got married, and then things changed, and then yeah, and now everything's changed. But she kind of misses the old days. But why, you know, we're we're now because we're we're modern, uh, empowered women who don't put up with any shit. That's who we like to think we are. But I mean, there was a time where people in enjoyed that that being in that role i mean there was a lot they were in high heels and they were being harassed and i mean there was a lot that was negative about well, I wear it high heels but you got to pay me or or something you got to, in some way i got to be paid because i'm not well, that's why you're a woman of ill repute i'll do it for money <laughs> yeah i'm just like linda evangelista yeah give me ten thousand dollars and i'll get out of bed no, it was a different time, and I don't think I don't think that she should, or any woman who w- was in a more traditional role back then, should give themselves a hard time. I mean, you did it, you enjoyed it. That's great. I'm, I'm glad that it's not that way for in a lot of for a lot of reasons. 
But, you know, as we say, it was a simpler time. Yeah, and it wasn't that long ago. There was a quote, I wrote it down somewhere, of the, the guy who bought TWA, which was the airline that she worked for for so many years. Yeah. Um, and he was saying that, uh, well, let's just cut the wages of all... It was deregulation, so there was way yeah. less money around generally. But let's just cut the, the wages in particular of the flight attendants because women aren't the breadwinners. Yeah. And this was, I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't in 1960, but it was 1990. Um, yeah, still. And not being able to be a pilot. I mean, the, that was, it, the, it, there was a hierarchy, a, a very sexist hierarchy, no doubt, not arguing about that. Um, but if she, if she looks back at that time with joy and still finds joy in flying, then, you know, we should do that as well if we can. But is she married to Mr. September? No. <laughs> Her version of Mr. <laughs> September. Oh, God, get no, me one of those. No, I'm, I'm still with Mr. <laughs> September, and I will be right until December. Anyway, that was yeah. lots of fun. Lovely to see you. Bye. Bye. Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley, with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.